Madeline, um, in racetrack lingo, you have had a trifecta in your life. You are a devout Catholic. You, in the recent years, discovered some Jewish roots, and you were once married to an Episcopalian. <laughs> so if you weren't such a nice person, you could have a clash of civilizations right in your own life. <laughs> and let's just expand that. There are a lot of people today who say that Sam Huntington's thesis of about 12 years ago is actually coming due because of all the fractiousness between particularly the West and, uh, and Islam. But you quite decidedly say there is not a clash of civilization. Explain. Well, uh, first of all, it's great to be here with you again, nice Jim, and this wonderful you. audience. Um, I did not ever buy into the clash of civilizations. Uh, I thought it, uh, I have a lot of respect for Sam Huntington, and I think he's been an original thinker in many ways, but I did not want to believe there was a clash of civilizations. One can argue there's a clash between the civilized and the uncivilized, but what I am saying more in this book is that we are engaged in a battle of ideas, that uh, as the 21st century opened, there clearly were many questions about uh, how countries relate to each other, what are the issues of poverty, divisions between the rich and the poor, how societies operate. And that is the clash of ideas that we have to engage in. And one of the major points in my book is that the U.S. has to make clearer what we are for rather than just what we are against. Because um, what, I think that the issues that are being raised by those who are opposed to us, among them Osama bin Laden and now President Aminajad of Iran, uh, I really despise the way that they operate and uh, a lot of their verbiage, and clearly in the case of Osama bin Laden, the violence. But there are issues that they are raising that are resonating with large portions of the world. And therefore, it's not a clash of civilizations, but definitely a battle of ideas. And we need to engage in that dialogue uh, because we need to provide some answers. You know, when you and I were uh, students, which is a while ago now, uh, and you've made this point, uh, in taking our international relations courses, it didn't dawn on anybody to mention religion very much as in, in trying to define the shape of the international community and the world and so on. That has decidedly changed. Um, is it for the good that we have a religious component in sort of the consideration of interstate relations these days and foreign policy making? Well, first of all, definitely, you know, I think when we were being educated, and even then when I was in the government at various times, you'd say, this conflict is uh, complicated enough. Let's not bring God and religion into it. Right. But clearly, uh, when we were in office, what was also evident was if, for instance, Jerusalem were just a real estate issue, uh, that might have been resolved some time ago. But when you are dealing with two groups of people who believe that that particular piece of land was given to them by God, it creates an additional uh, dimension in terms of trying to deal with the issue. And then, of course, there is increasing aspects of religion uh, throughout the world. So it's not a matter of whether we want to or don't want to. Uh, it's a little bit like asking, you know, can we stop globalization? 
Uh, it's a question of how to mitigate aspects of it or to enlarge upon it. And so I think it's a recognition of the fact that religion and God are playing a role in the world today. And so what I'm advising in my book is that we look for the common aspects of the three Abrahamic religions and other philosophies rather than the divisive ones. Now, you've known me a long time, and so I'm here to say I have not, I'm not a theologian and I haven't turned into a religious mystic. I am a problem solver. And so what I'm trying to do in looking at uh, the scene today is try to figure out whether by looking at various aspects of the religions one could help to try to find common threads to get a solution. Well, if you're going to bind them in a constructive way, um, is there a particular linkage or two between what policy politics tries to do and what religion tries to do. Well, I think, you And is know, there a focus point where, they, where, where they're really quite similar? Well, I do think that there are various aspects of it where politics is, a, is the attempt to try to get people to live within some kind of a social structure and have a way of talking to each other and talking the relationship between the rulers and the ruled. Mm. Religion also, uh, at its best, is a way of trying to figure out how people can, can live in a structure respecting certain rules with certain uh, ideals. And I think the question is whether you can actually superimpose those two structures upon each other or whether they do have to clash. I think it's possible. I've done a lot of reading that I hadn't done before. Uh, I've read large portions of the Quran and went back and looked at the Old and New Testament. And the truth is you can find blood-curdling parts in all of them. Uh, but you also can find parts which use very similar language in terms of social justice, peace, charity, that kind of thing. Let me ask you if, if this isn't a distinction, though, that we've got to find some answer to. The Bible has some very bloody stuff in it, um, both the Old Testament and the New. But to a great extent, both Judaism and, and um, Christianity have moved beyond that and has essentially looked at it as maybe metaphors or as outdated material, particularly to the time when the great book was written. But is the same, same, and the same thing be said about Islam? I think the main thing we have to learn, <clears throat> and let me just say this, is I was, I was writing actually in my memoirs, and I went through various papers. I had notations in places, and it would say, learn more about Islam. And the truth is that I consider myself a fairly educated person, but I did not know enough beyond kind of the, the basics that you learn in school. And um, the first thing I think we have to stop saying is Islam, because it is not a monolithic faith. And... Um, there are, and we, most Americans now know about Shia and Sunni, but right. there also are Wahhabis in various aspects and uh, various ways of interpreting, uh, even though the Quran is supposed to be the word of God as given to Muhammad, there has been an aspect of it where um, there is a reason to debate as to how to interpret it. And I think that there are various, we also are having the tendency now to identify Islam with its most um, radical or extremist aspects. And that is um, not fair. It's as if you identified Christianity by the Ku Klux Klan or by saying that... Once again, the Ku Klux Klan is, for the most part, history. Hamas is not. 
Well, except, guess what? I was in Atlanta yesterday. Oops. And um, there were people that said that there were those that had put back the hoods over yeah. the immigration issue. So, uh, not totally. Uh, but I think that the, the issue is that within Islam itself, there are those who interpret it in a way uh, that is not in um, the violent way that we have now kind of decided to cast Islam. Let me ask you something about the misuse of religion, because I think there's quite a bit of it around. Um, you start off by saying that uh, what, what, the clashes of, of ideas, not whole civilizations, and I, I tend to agree with that. But I find it very difficult sometimes to decide whether the person who's telling me it's a religious reason why he's for X instead of Y is really religiously motivated or nationalistically motivated or otherwise politically motivated and is using religion uh, sort of as a trump card. Does that square with any of your experiences in the actual practice of the Absolutely. Religion? And I think then you get into a very difficult situation. Take, for instance, an issue that I dealt with a lot, which was in the Balkans. Yeah. And what happened was that Milosevic, it's a perfect example of having kind of melded the two, having gone to the Battle of Kosovo, uh, where the Serbian prince, Lazar, was defeated, but chose... Um, whether he would go into the heavenly kingdom or have a kingdom on earth. And so the Orthodox Church, to a great extent in Serbia, became um, really identified with some of the very nationalist aspects uh, that Milosevic was pushing. And it's true in other places. So one, you're absolutely right. There is this melding. And often, uh, you know, there's nothing uh, kind of the trump card of saying, uh, this is what God wants me to do. Uh, we have a little bit that of that here. That sounds familiar. We've heard that around here. I was going to say, right.